0: You'd be hard pressed to recognize them as on the same team with all the sniping, but that is the picture before us of the federal conservative leadership race. Six and all have lined up to present their case as best choice to lead the party into the next election. Will they tack even further to the right? Hello and welcome to Unpublished TV. I'm Ed Hand. It's been a bare knuckle brawl in two debates so far. The party reports a record six hundred thousand memberships sold, giving those people to say in. Who will capture the leadership? First to declare was Carleton MP Pierre Poliev, who has grabbed the most attention and support, but it's a long campaign, with the vote not coming until September 10th in Ottawa. Our unpublished vote question asked you which candidate will the Conservatives select? Pierre Poliev, Jean Charest, Leslin Lewis, Patrick Brown, Roman Baber, or Scott Aitchison? And overwhelmingly, Pierre Poliev, just over 83% of our viewers, supported him. Patrick Brown was second at 5.19, followed by Jean Charest, Roman Baber, Leslin Lewis, and nobody, nobody voted for Scott Aitchison. However you're watching and listening to our show, whether through our social media channels on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube, or podcast channels, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and more. I'd like to remind you, you can still cast your vote on this topic at unpublished.vote. And then email your MP to tell them why. Joining us to discuss the Tory leadership race, Warren Kinsella, political commentator and former advisor to Prime Minister Jean Chrétien. Laurie Turnbull is the director in the School of Public Administration at Dalhousie University. Christine DeClercy is a professor in political science at Western University. Mario Canseco is the president of Research Co. And Rick Peterson is the co-founder of Center Ice Conservatives. And I thank you all for joining us. And Laurie, it's going to be a- a long campaign. There's no voting until September. Does it matter or would Polyevs camp have
1: preferred a shorter campaign? I think they would have preferred a shorter campaign because he's been the front runner the whole time. And there's a sense that he had a pretty big command of what the party was. In the outset, and he's got lots of caucus support and he seems to have this real frontrunner status that he's trying to carry through now, because I think because the race is so long, you can see the other candidates trying to slow down his lead. And so in the leadership debates, for instance, I wouldn't say the candidates all sort of held hands and, and ran at him, but they did all sort of pile up on on his approach to financial policy, monetary policy, Bank of Canada kind of stuff, like the other candidates are really trying to expose what they think are weak points in his argument. And I think what they're really trying to do is make this look like not a foregone conclusion. He's coming out hot with the I've signed up half the world kind of stuff and making, trying to make it look like I've signed up so many people that the other candidates don't really have a shot. But yeah, I mean, if he could stop this as soon as he could, I think he would.
0: Mario, it it has been a a nasty campaign so far. Lots of piling on, lots of sniping, lots of accusations. Does that turn off or tune
2: up the conservatives? I guess it depends on how the rest of the world reacts to this. Uh, Internal races can be quite complicated, and you are bound to have some situations where people are dissatisfied with what the other one is saying. Uh, I'd be more worried if I were the federal conservatives about the, the actual effect that this is going to have on the voting public that is not buying magazine subscriptions. Um, it could be detrimental. You could have some of those sound bites making their way to ads during a federal campaign, similar to what happened with Ignatieff and Dion a few years ago. So you've got to be very careful about the type of situations that you put your own party to because other Canadians might be looking into this down the road.
0: Uh, Warren, 600,000 memberships sold by the the candidates. Who does that benefit the most?
3: (laughs) Sold. Yeah, well, I guess we'll see how many were really sold and how many were purchased for people. I mean, if it's real... It's an extraordinary achievement. I don't think Trudeau actually got this many members when he was giving memberships away a few years ago in the Liberal Party. So, you know, hats off uh, to them. But last time, when they had a smaller number of people purchasing memberships, like 100,000 didn't even vote. So um, there's a big difference between selling a membership and getting people to participate. Um, What I am hearing, and I'm sure all you guys have heard the same thing, which is if Polyev doesn't hit 45%, he's done like dinner. He is toast because he has no growth as the front runner. Uh, What I'm also hearing is that Sheree is not in number two. It's it's Mr. Brown is up near the top and uh, he's kind of acting like a front runner. I mean, I even heard from some Tories this morning that they think that that Brown may actually end up taking this thing, which is extraordinary. So it's great for hacks like us because we get to talk about it and speculate endlessly and so on. But, you know, the point that Mario and Laurie have both made is the most important one. What's the reaction Canadians have to it? And I don't think Canadians like what they're seeing. It's really ugly and nasty and
0: unpleasant. And I think it's turning people off. Christine, the, the French language debate found several of those candidates lacking in the language does that matter to, to Quebecers? And how do you see bilingualism playing a part in the campaign?
4: Well, the question of bilingualism is sort of a historical issue within conservative party leadership contests. So in this respect, this contest is is much in line with precedent. Um, obviously, if the conservatives hope to create the sort of large pan-national coalition that Mr. Moroney created, they need to do better in Quebec. And so definitely, as usual, one's capacity in French and English matters in this contest.
0: Uh, Rick, your group's trying to point the ship back to the middle. It's uh, centerized conservatives. But do conservatives want to go there?
5: to take another step back. Uh, <clears throat> I was a candidate in the uh, 2017 race, and in the 2020 race was in the uh, second round. We just fell 200 membership sales short of me being on the final ballot. Um, there's the fog of war going out there, Ed, right now. Um, 60% of the membership sold will probably end up being converted into votes. There's a lot of work. Uh, who's got the best ground game? And I, I just listening to some of the feedback so far, um, you know, even if Pierre doesn't get 45% on the first round, um, he will have up support from Western than those people probably have some up balance support from Roman Babers people. And, and on the other side, though, you've got another dichotomy where you've got, Three solid centrist candidates, Uh, to come back to your opening question, Mm -hmm. in uh, Jean Charest and in Patrick Brown and in Scott Aitchison. Scott Aitchison has been the surprise on this um, campaign. Very strong, very strong on policy. Seems to be an adult in the room when things are going offside. Um, His votes, his second place votes are going to be very strong. So I would say uh, don't worry too much about what you're hearing from pundits and everybody else out there. The ground game is what counts. Who can convert Keep in mind that if you look at 2017 and you look at the votes in 2017, the front runner there didn't end up winning. And a lot of people that you thought who would do better didn't. Lisa Raitt maybe would have been one. And then if you look at Brad Trost, Brad Trost ended up in fourth place uh, through the strength of his ground game as well, too. So it's jump ball, too early to tell. Big question is who's got the strongest ground game.
0: All right. Well, uh, Laurie, let's talk about the ground game. Uh Which which uh, candidate do you see having the strongest?
1: So I am very um, much persuaded by arguments that Patrick Brown is running an extremely effective, Mm -hmm. organized campaign. And um, I I don't know him personally, but I have known him for a long time. And even when he was a young conservative, like a young progressive conservative, this guy's ability to network, to shake hands, to build trust with people in a short period of time, sign them up and make them loyal to him, shouldn't be underestimated. And he's playing a different kind of game. And I would say an opposite kind of game to Pierre Polyev and that Polyev is doing to get everybody in a room, shouting, excited and all that sort of thing and giving the impression of a whole lot of momentum behind his campaign. Compared to that, Patrick Brown is almost silent. And you don't see what he's doing, but he's making phone calls. He's he's working his butt off to, to sign up as many people as possible. And even in my my other home province of Nova Scotia, I've heard that he has been extremely persuasive so far. And so I think he's going to be, um, he's he's potentially, because of his ability to organize and work with people, is going to be uh, very, very strong in this. And I think it's a question of how strong at this point.
0: All right. And Warren, obviously, you've been in, in these uh, leadership campaigns in the, in the past talking about a strong ground. Brown game, which uh, which candidate do you see having a strong one?
3: Brown, Brown. that's what Laurie said. I mean, I'm hearing it everywhere. And like, you know, if you remember how this guy came to be, like he beat Christine Elliott, right? Christine Elliott for the progressive conservative leadership in Ontario. And he beat her badly. He humiliated her and shocked a lot of, you know, so-called knowledgeable pundits like me. I just, I didn't think it was possible. I just figured it was her turn and that's what they would do. And, and he won. So this guy has, uh, a very impressive organizational ability. Obviously, he's got some issues in the past. Looks like he's dealt with those to the satisfaction of conservative uh, delegates and conservative voters. So uh, I think he is the one to watch right now. And that's why I think you see Polyev, like Polyev's campaign spokesperson is Jenny Byrne person, calling Brown repeatedly, calling him a liar. Just flat out saying he's a liar last week. You know, that's not the behavior of a campaign that's formed. Of confidence, that's the ca- the behavior of a campaign that's a little bit spooked, and I think they're spooked by this guy because I think he's on the move.
0: Uh, you know, Christine, it, it, following up on on Patrick Brown and, and the ground game, is it you know we, we know his previous experience, but I you know we talk about him being the mayor of Brampton. We're talking about the nine hundred five, and in particular, if you want to win in Ontario, you've got to get a lot of the nine hundred five. Uh, is that where what's uh, what's sort of keeping the the air under his wings?
4: Well, I think um, as has been mentioned by my colleagues here, Mr. Brown is a formidable organizer and he is um, simply uh, really a master at at strategy. Um, without knowing his the numbers of, of where he has sold memberships, it's difficult to say at this point exactly where he's gaining momentum. But I, I will say, I, I just want to go back to a point that Warren made a few minutes ago, It's not clear to me that Mr. Brown has really gotten beyond the serious allegations that forced his ouster as PC leader here in Ontario. So while we can at this point admire his his ground game and his energy and his uh, competitive skills, um, whether at the end of the day, the baggage really has been left behind Mm -hmm. as his train leaves the station towards the next stop in his political career, I think really is up for debate.
0: What do you think, Mario, in terms of Patrick
2: Brown's uh, ground game? Um, He's got a track record. I think that has to be said. Uh, It wasn't easy to do what he did in Ontario, and I think he's trying to recreate something like this. It's going to be complicated, particularly for people in the West uh, who might be more in tune with Paul who might know more about Charest. Uh, But if there's somebody who can knock on doors and talk to the people that he needs to talk to in order to pull this through... It's definitely him. I think there's a track record there that cannot be ignored, even if you're filling a room with 600 people and just posting things on social media, which is what the other campaigns have been doing.
0: Uh, uh, Laurie, do you see this ending on the on the first ballot? I
1: think given uh, what. Pierre Polyev has established as a lead here. I think if we were using different rules and if this was a first past the post referendum kind of thing, we'd be having a different conversation. But because of the reality of that point system, I think that the the lead he has and the momentum he has is going to play out differently and it's going to be harder for him to, 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 have that produce a first round win. Now that doesn't mean he's going to crack out on the first ballot either. I don't imagine he's going to get 30%, but he'll do better than that. I think, but he, I don't think he'll win it on the first ballot. And then as others have said, it is going to matter uh, what happens when people drop off and what their supporters did down ballot, if people rank down ballot at all. Um, and I, I don't know what, what the percentage of people is going to be who do. And so, yeah, I, I don't think it will be a first ballot thing. I think we'll have at least a couple of rounds on that night. Rick, what, what
0: do you think? Is this a first ballot uh, leadership or is it going to go deeper and longer?
5: No, it's going to go deeper, longer. And, and I would not underestimate the centrist side of this ballot, uh, the three on the centrist side of the ballot. Jean Charest has been a surprise to a lot of people. He's been strong. He's been articulate. He's been passionate. Uh, there's a reason that Pierre Polev doesn't want any more debates, right? Patrick Brown, the ground game's for real. head of our executive director for Centre Race Conservatives runs his ground game in uh, British Columbia, they do eight or ten meetings a day. They sold 1,500 memberships in a hundred-mile house. You got to be able to do that. Uh, Scott Ashton, Scott Ashton, strong, strong policy and character. This guy has done an amazing job articulating common sense things. He's come out, you know, against supply management, down ballot support. Uh, most can, most um, conservative members, Ed, you're correct. Generally, don't put down more than two or three names on their ballots. They'll go one, two, three. They don't go one, two, three, four, five, six. We have on the ballot here, I see two separate camps. I think the Polyev, Lewis, Baber side will go maybe one, two, three, either way. Same on the centrist side. So this probably be uh, uh, three ballots at the most. Again, conversion ground game. You got to get people to print off their membership, scan it, send it in with an ID. They get a pin, then they get the vote. This is not easy. This is not easy. So, um, but you can't. Again, you know what? People say, well, Pial- Paulyev's got lots of people, but nobody's signing up. If you're tracking those kind of numbers that Pierre is, um, those are real. He is signing up. Jenny Byrne may be you know, playing the inside Paul little game that Warren knows all about, about uh, expectations and stuff. But there is two things that are different. And I'll just end this here, sir, for being so long. Two things sure. that are different about this leadership race, different than others. Nobody is... Shading or nobody is nuancing their positions. They are all clear. Everybody's doubling down, which is interesting, right? Number two, there is a clear divide between those who are centrist, Canadian, and conservatives who've been with the party for a long time, but maybe haven't shown up in the past, or this other direction, which is going down a populist path. There is no doubt about it. Future of the party is at stake here. The soul of the party, the direction of the party is at stake on this leadership race.
0: Yeah, Warren, you know, this is obviously we're talking about the, uh, the Tory leadership race, but it's more about leading that, that party into an election. And can any of the candidates in your eyes win?
3: Well, I think if Polyev wins, uh, you know, I felt for some time that Trudeau, Trudeau looks like he's phoning it in um, and uh, that he hasn't been particularly interested in the job. I think it's noteworthy. Really, you know, he's in the news today for the first time in a long time just because he caught COVID and I hope he gets better, but he he just has kind of disappeared. I think that's because PMO recognizes he's not the political asset that he once was. But my gut tells me, and my gut usually serves me well, if Polyev becomes leader, that'll be a big temptation for Trudeau to stick around. Because he feels, his people feel that they can beat Polyev, you know, for the Bitcoin craziness and the World Economic Forum crap and, you know, all the kind of nutty stuff that Polyev has done needlessly needlessly to himself i think that's a temptation for trudeau um you know a tougher candidate is Sherey, and clearly a tougher candidate is is uh, brown but um you know who the liberals want to face they want to face F. Uh,
0: christine there, there's a lot at stake for the leadership as history has shown but you know in the last few federal or even provincial campaigns uh you lose and, and you're done and is that going to be the situation here
4: uh, do, do you mean if Mr. Po- Poiliev loses the next federal election? Yep. Uh, well, I guess it's, it somewhat depends on on who he faces and how he loses. If he's beaten as as Warren suggested by Mr. Trudeau badly as Mr. O'Toole, the conservative spell was, then yes, I, I expect his tenure will be very short. Um, it's also worth thinking about what happens to the disaffected leadership candidates uh, and and the losers after this next round, because Mr. Bernier certainly uh, set an example when he left the Conservative Party after the last round and set up his own party. You have to wonder what happens with Mr. Brown or Mr. Pueliev if they lose. Are they also going to go off and set up their own small but fractious camp? So so what happens to losers after 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 uh, serious context is a good question.
0: Uh, Rick, what happens to a conservative party that is led by Pierre Poliev, Lessen Lewis, or, or Roman Weber?
5: They'll get a shot. They'll get a shot at the um, at the election. And uh, if we lose it, that's 0 for 4. If we lose the next election, I believe that's the end of the 2003 coalition of uh, reform and progressive conservatives uh and if the conservative party goes down to defeat for the fourth consecutive time with a candidate who has a populist bent it's over.
0: And do you perhaps see down the line that we're going to be looking at a you know the way it was before a reforms party and a progressive conservative party?
5: No, you know there's people on this uh you know Mario and Warren in fact everybody Christine and Laurie have have a 30,000-foot view of things that um, probably put it into a better perspective than I can offer. But I can, I can say that there is frustration among a lot of long-term supporters of the Conservative Party. The reason that our group exists is because the centrists and the moderates have been too quiet. They haven't made enough noise. They haven't made their, uh, their voice um, visible. And it's not about the Conservative Party moving to the centre. Most Conservatives are centrists most conservatives are fiscally responsible, socially progressive. But what we've seen since 2015 is a movement where the loudest and noisiest groups in the conservative party are special interest small groups. That doesn't sit well with people Mm -hmm. in the center. And our group has probably as many blue liberals looking at us going, hey, what are you guys doing? We can't sign up, but we like what you're doing because the federal liberal party, and Warren knows this better than I do, has moved to the progressive left under Trudeau. And then now with a NDP alliance, there is a big gaping hole in the centre of of Canadian politics right now, a big gaping hole which could be, should be and will be filled by blue Liberals and uh, centre-right Conservatives if our Conservative Party goes down the populist rabbit hole.
0: Is that what you see, Warren?
3: Absolutely. hundred percent. Absolutely. Like, you know, I call it the axis of weasels you know, between Trudeau and Singh. And they, you know, they go way off to the left. And I thought, well, here you go. The Conservative Party is going to get the memo finally and realize that Trudeau has just vacated the middle. You know, where Kretsch and Turner and Martin and, you know, successive liberal leaders have been. He's vacated it. Here they go. They're going to start moving the center. And as Rick you know, they haven't. You know, Pierre Polyev, who's their favorite candidate apparently at the moment, is chasing. You know, Maxine Bernier's vote, and Bernier hasn't won a seat in the House of Commons since he created his cockamamie party. Like it, uh, our politics has gone crazy right now, as Rick says, right in the middle. That's where most of the votes are, that's where most Canadians are. There's nobody reaching out to those voters, you know, the centrist, blue liberal, red Tory, whatever you want to call them. And, uh, you know, and as Mario can tell us, You know, that's how you win elections in Canada. You get that vote, but nobody's speaking to it at the moment.
0: You know, Mario, we might not have an election, a federal election for three years.
2: How does that help or hinder the eventual winner? I think it's all about building bridges. You know, you look at a place like B.C. and and there's this tendency to look at us as as an area of the country that votes conservative and that usually supported Stephen Harper. And the one party that got more than half of all votes in a federal election was the Canadian Alliance under Stockwell Day in 2000. So it's all about establishing that type of connection. And I think there's an opportunity for whoever becomes the next federal leader of the conservatives to try to establish that. It's not something that happens immediately. It's not a situation where you can point to a couple of things that make you mad. Uh, It's really about having that ground game and to talk about things because you know when the next election is happening. It's been difficult to do that with the minority scenarios that we have right now. Uh, But now there's an opportunity to have more time, talk about specific issues, and ultimately make the federal conservatives appealing to urban voters. Here, the Liberal Party dominates in the areas that are heavily populated, and that is a problem because there's no conservatives in the places where most of the seats are. Laurie, when we, we look at the six candidates,
0: uh, do you see any of them being able to unite the party if they win?
1: No, I don't. <laughs> I, I, not at all. I, and I don't think that that's, um, it's not really a fair task to hand a leader anyway, right? Like, I don't think mm-hmm. that the question should be um, how is the person who wins this going to solve an irreconcilable problem, right? Like, I think mm-hmm. there are, very meaningful conversations being had around what the direction of the party is. And I don't think that everybody on that ballot is going to see themselves in the end result. And so that says something about where the party is going. And I think that goes back to Rick's comments and to Warren's comments about, you know, where like, why do we have this party system where most Canadians are sitting in the center, but there are no parties to meet them there? That is, That's not how it's supposed to work. We are supposed to have responsiveness between democratic institutions and voters, and we're seeing a gap. And there's a whole bunch of structural, you know, electoral system, all kinds of reasons why that is the case. But that's something that needs to be corrected. But I think if you're talking, like even now, like for Brown to say, I'm not running if Pierre Polyev wins, he's trying to be strategic about Pierre Polyev's chances in GTA and everything else. And that's fine. But he's also saying something about where he sees himself and it not being a a reconcilable project, which again goes back to Rick's point about if they go 4-0, this is a sign that the merged conservatives are not a viable project if there's only one person that can unite them and he's gone now.
0: And, And Stephen Harper is what you're referring to. Yeah. Uh, Now, Christine, I'm wondering, like, uh, we saw two debates already. It's uh, lots of clashing of, well, not even a lot of ideas, but a lot of clashing words and accusations and such, you know, know, and it it goes a bit to the Patrick Brown comment about if Pierre Pierre Polyev wins, he's not running. But how do any of these people work with the others at the end of what's been said?
4: This is a good question. I mean, on the one hand, leadership contests are always about lots of noise and spectacle and the drama of politics, but these are all experienced politicians. They are uh, all, all pragmatists. And I think that whomever is chosen leader obviously can't unite a very diverse uh, conservative movement, but they do have a key role to play in managing the divisions. And so it does matter what is the winner's orientation toward unity. Because on the one hand, um, 4-0 is a terrible problem. On the other hand, the Reform and Alliance experiment demonstrated that divided conservatives cannot win. So once again, the conservative party is between a rock and a hard place. I'm not sure how the new leader rectifies this, but it is clear that some unity and some consensus must be must be forged for the pro- for the party to continue forward.
0: All right, uh, we just have a couple of minutes left. We'll go around the horn here, and uh, we are a few months out from the vote. But at this point, uh, who do you see winning the the uh, conservative leadership? We'll start with you, Rick.
5: Jean Charest. Jean, Jean Charest, Charest on the strength of down ballot support from Patrick Brown and Scott Hicheson. Yes.
0: Warren. Justin Trudeau. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Laurie.
1: This has been my prediction for a while and I'm sticking with it. Uh, Patrick Brown, third ballot.
0: All right. Uh, Christine.
1: I'm going to say if the
4: numbers hold, I'm going to put my dime on Qualia.
2: All right. And uh, Mario. I think Patrick Brown. But it's sad that we don't do conventions the way we used to. We've lost the pageantry of people walking from one side to the other with the down ballot situation. It's kind of like watching the lottery results. So it's a bit of a downer if you like television. Yeah. And who do you take?
0: I think Patrick Brown. Patrick Brown. All right. Well, I want to thank our guests on Unpublished TV today. Warren Kinsella, political commentator, former advisor to Prime Minister Jean Chrétien, Laurie Turnbull, the director of the School of Public Administration at Dalhousie University. Christine DeClercy is a professor of political science at Western University. Mario Canseco is the president of Research Co. and Rick Peterson, co-founder of Center Ice Conservatives. And I want to thank you for watching Unpublished TV. Stay safe. I'm Ed Hand.